Aerospace Unplugged. Hello and welcome to Aerospace Unplugged, your behind the scenes look into all things aerospace. I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair, and today's topic focuses on the breakthroughs of additive manufacturing and how one part is paving the way for the certification process. Joining me today is Senior Director of Engineering and Project Management, Zorn Wiener. Thanks for joining us, Zorn. Thanks for having me. Zorn, we're excited to have you to talk about this new breakthrough and what it means for additive manufacturing and aerospace as an industry. But before we do, can we talk a little bit about how you ended up in aerospace and also how you ended up at Honeywell? Absolutely. Happy to share that. Yes. So. Uh, for me, it goes back to my early childhood days that I always knew I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, so career choice was very easy for me because I knew which path to take. And uh, I grew up in Germany, I went to school in Germany, but um, met a lovely young lady who happened to live in, in uh, Arizona. And so I started looking at uh, career opportunities. And at the time, Allied Signal, now Honeywell, was a great, attractive company to uh, start with that afforded me to really um, use my my passion and my skills in, in engineering, especially manufacturing engineering. And so it was just a very great match for me to start um, some, some 20 years ago with the company. That's great. So how did you get into additive manufacturing? So that's a, a really cool development is that um, as a young engineer, started out as a manufacturing engineer, I always knew that kind of the manufacturing engineering technology was what fascinated me the most. And then about six years ago, um, I was able to uh, take on the role to lead new manufacturing technology development for aerospace at Honeywell. And that was really the time when additive was at a critical point. Uh, we had done as a company uh, about five years of development, but mostly on the strictly R&D side and probably 10 to 15 years before that with polymers. So that was something that many companies had uh, engaged in. But for us, for Honeywell, metal additives started about 10 years ago. And then six years ago is when I joined uh, the manufacturing technology team and had the opportunity to present to uh, the executive leadership within Honeywell, within corporate, to develop the strategy. And it fell into my responsibility to, to develop what we're doing today and um, kind of see it really from, I don't want to say the very early start, but really from the critical point, developing it to the level that it's at now. So before we get started, would you mind just discussing what is additive manufacturing? I mean, I sort of know it as 3D printing. Yes, absolutely. It, is it the same thing? Yes. So there are... Uh, different what's called modalities of added manufacturing and uh, typically mostly on the on the plastic side uh, polymer side is most commonly referred to as 3d printing and then what my team is mostly focused on is the metal additive printing or sometimes it's called laser powder bit fusion that's one of the ways how you can uh, do metal additive uh, manufacturing and for us what's important is um, to just kind of understand what the different technologies have in common, what they, what they are different. And so as a basic start is that you have traditional manufacturing is subtractive. So you have a hunk of metal and you start chiseling away, you start machining away, and you really get into the, the final shape of the part by removing material. 
with additive manufacturing, 3D printing, really all those techniques are similar or, or have that in common is that you start with um, a plate, kind of a, a base, and you start adding material and fuse it to a layer upon layer upon layer and gradually grow parts, typically on a substrate, on a, on a plate. And that's across the board, if it's polymers or if it's metals um, or ceramics, all these, all these media, in that principle, they follow the same, the same method. And so where we have focused our energy is uh, what I mentioned earlier, the laser powder bed, which takes a um, metal powder, uh, typically very small um, nodules of, or, or uh, kernels of material. They're about five, 40 microns in, in size, a very fine powder, uh, almost like a flour, like if you would have in your, in your kitchen, it's that fine. Uh, that gets spread on a on a uh, thin layer, and then a laser beam traces out the outline in a 2D fashion, uh, just like you would do with uh, with uh, a, a picture book where you draw inside the lines. That's basically what a laser beam will do. It'll melt and weld the metal powder to the layer below, and so you go layer by layer by layer. And you can imagine that a part that it is maybe three inches tall would have several thousands of these layers built on top of each other to uh, build the final component. Wow. So it sounds like it would take a long time to build a part. It, it's one of those things where yes and no. Um, a typical lead time for a casting component is some usually measured in months, if not years. Um, so comparing it to that, it's actually pretty fast. But then building a component, uh, typically, on average, our components in the machine, they take about three to four days of printing. Some take longer, some are faster, depends on the complexity and the size. And so, yes, the, the making of the part is is really, it, it's relative. It has to be compared to uh, what you're competing with. Uh, it does take a while to fill all this stuff in, but then relatively speaking, compared to lead time of weeks, months, and years, three days or 13 days even is, is still very fast. So... What is our newest breakthrough on this? I mean, what I understand is we've been using 3D printing, but are we actually shipping it and putting it into airplanes? We absolutely are. So we shipped our first uh, qualified, certified, commercially certified part uh, just before uh, the a new year between 2015 and 2016. That was a very um, small component, non-critical, and it was really about exercising our internal procedures and working with the regulators to understand what's required to put qualified, certified hardware into production. Um, so that was about five years ago. Um, and from there, we got gradually more complex and more critical hardware. And it's typically what we call static components or structural components that we have been focusing our energy on. Uh, the breakthrough with what we just accomplished is that we are getting more complex, more complex more criticality. And so the most recent breakthrough that we had is that we have now a major structural component, it's so-called uh, bearing housing, in a uh, main propulsion engine, the, the turbine engine. And the really cool thing about that part is that it also has integrated integral passages for oil and uh, what's called buffer air. And that's required to make sure that these bearings that are in the deep inside of the engine, of the turbine engine, get fed with the right amount of oil for lubrication and then also air, which is used to stabilize the bearings. Okay. So are we shipping this to customers right now? 
Yes, we, we are shipping this to customers right now. And this is a, a great use of the technology where it's a low volume demand for aftermarket support. So it's a legacy engine uh, that's been in service for decades. And so it's very hard to get spare parts for those kinds of products. But we at Honeywell are still required to maintain uh, the fleet and make sure that that fleet is operational. And so it's it's very tough on those legacy uh, products to get the parts, get them in time. And so we were able to to use added manufacturing to, to print uh, this housing, then go through the normal processes of what we call post-processing and uh, finish the part, get all the certifications and qualifications. And it's now shipping on, on those overhauled engines to our customers. So what is the benefit to our customers? Is it speed or price or convenience? It's no, it's definitely definitely speed and the availability of having having their product um, not be grounded. I mean, that's really it's the availability of parts right. and, and taking taking parts that previously um, would be very hard to procure or impossible to procure. And then the other thing is uh, is kind of a secondary one is price that. It's there's always a price to something, and yes, you can get other spare parts, but it's very hard and usually very very costly. And that's where additive, um, even though it's not always the cheapest uh, method of manufacturing a part, it's a very attractive one if you look at the total cost picture. Uh, there's typically not a lot investment for tooling, whereas for castings, you need to have a lot of um, difficult, uh, sorry, different and difficult to procure tools to actually make a casting, those kinds of um, requirements or those kinds of needs are no longer there. You can actually then print the part without tooling and then just do the the normal post-processing. But the big advantage is just getting parts, really the the, uh, stability of supply is on those parts, like the one uh, I was just describing, that's the big advantage is actually making sure that our customers get the parts that they need. Okay. So you talked a little bit about how it was kind of like a metal flower, flower, (laughs) F-L-O-U-R, powder. So is that the same kind of material that it would be built out of if it were not 3D printed? That's the interesting thing is it's from a chemistry perspective, it's the same, Uh, at least for the, for the components that we're currently pursuing, it's essentially the same chemistry, but then through the method of, of solidifying the material, you get some very unique uh, advantages on the 3D printed part compared to a casting. And that's really driven by the, um, the methods of, of creating the structure, creating the, uh, um, the part, is that what we're seeing with, with the printed version of the same material, that we actually get better than uh, the casting properties for, for our parts. Even though it's the same chemistry, uh, it still produces even better parts than what we see traditionally on, on or historically on the traditional manufacturer parts. So are they going to be as durable and reliable as the other kinds of manufactured parts? Absolutely. So we've, we've done a ton of research and, and uh, tests to ensure that we understand fully what, what is the strength, what's the durability on these printed materials. How do they compare to what we have decades of experience with to make sure that we're not missing anything as we launch products into production and and uh, put on on airplanes that that people our families are flying on so we spend a lot of time energy and money to make sure that we truly fully understand and what we found is 
that the printed materials are uh, extremely competitive and in, in many cases, not just as good as a casting, but they're actually better than a casting. And now it's, it's a matter of balancing properties. So there's in the engineering realm, there are different methods that we can kind of improve certain properties or, or debit certain properties. And so that's a balancing act. But what we're finding is that with the printed parts, we have a lot of um, like a, a very good baseline to work with that ensures us we're always better than the parts that we uh, are replacing. That's great. So what's the atmosphere like? I mean, how does a part like this come together? It can't be just a one-man band, right? No, this is really, it, it takes not just a village, it takes a whole city to get something like this done. So that was really exciting about this this project is truly, truly a cross-functional effort. And, and really for, for Honeywell, even more exciting, it took engineering side from our repair and overhaul division as well as our original manufacturing division to come together, figure out ways how to do this, how to make this work. But it starts with uh, design engineers. Uh, some of these things to replace an existing part um, in printing, one of the things to realize is that it may not print exactly like the legacy part. So we had to make some adjustments, what we call modified for added manufacturing, some slight design adjustments, which then led to structural analysis. So we had to have structures engineers. We had to have lubrication engineers. We had to have uh, manufacturing engineers, um, but then also overhaul engineers, chief engineers. I mean, we had really all the engineering functions that are resident within Honeywell uh, touch this part and we had to coordinate that. And what was, you asked about the atmosphere. This was really one of those uh, opportunities that brought all the teams together because a lot of excitement grew out of what we could do uh, to support the business and, and in a sense, a little bit of making history, that it's, it's a part that's a breakthrough for us to get one of part of this complexity with kind of multifunctional features on the part that rallied the troops and, and was important to have because none of this came easy. A lot of things, we, they were first for us. We had to figure out as we, as we went it, it was exciting to see how the team came together, um, hit a roadblock. How do we get around this roadblock? And it was really a team that's characterized by just grit and perseverance uh, to figure out how do we make this and how do we make it successfully and fast. So it takes a village or a city, but how long does it really take? That's a lot of people to get involved. Yeah, so for the part that we uh, developed here recently and, and, and hit the milestone, that was a three-year process to get it from start to finish. And really, the majority of that time was not in the 3D printing, but was in the figuring out the critical steps in the post-processing to make this part usable in a turbine engine. But that was um, a three-year process, which sounds very long. But again, it was a lot of first for our team to develop. That's why it took um, that many people to really figure out what to do with a part once it's printed. So exciting, but also um, very, very um, involved getting that done. The, the awesome thing is that these learnings actually prepared us for other projects where just a month ago, we completed a project that was of similar complexity. And from start to finish, we got that done in 97 days. So that shows you how much um, development is carryover to other projects and how much learning you can then apply to the next project and the next project. And so that's really where we go from three years to 
um, less than three months to get something like that done in, in today's environment. That's impressive. So what do you think this breakthrough means for the future of additive manufacturing, at least at Honeywell? I think for Honeywell, there are really a couple of things that stand out. Number one is we were able to support and are able to support delivery and revenue. I mean, it's, that's what we're all about is that we're, we're running a business and we need to support a, a successful business. And so that's first and foremost is that our products, that the printed parts have to have a purpose that supports um, our business. So that's very plain and simple, the first one. The second one is it really drives confidence in kind of two ways, acceptance internally and externally, is that there is still a lot of hesitation about deploying or accepting this new technology, relatively new technology, and having a part of that complexity is kind of a stepping stone in building building up that, that confidence within our own engineering community, but then also with our customers and regulators that we can show them what we've done, we can demonstrate the tests that were done, and just to really uh, get people at ease that, yes, it's possible, and it's okay to switch over to something new. And then the third one, which is really where the future is going, is it enables new products faster. That based on the part that we did, there is a whole family of parts behind it that we can we can now look at other um, other maybe supply issues and, and, and constraints that we have that we can offer a solution based on the experience that we have now. So we can we can kind of copy and paste supporting other programs, supporting other uh, product lines. That's kind of the, the lowest level of, of future. But then based on the experience that we have, now we can start developing new designs, better designs, taking advantage of those um, material properties that we developed, that we can do some better performing product or lighter weight product. And, and that's really the exciting future for this technology is that Having these kinds of examples in service and, and demonstrating what's possible and uh, building up a, an experience base, that's what's really the breakthrough here. All right. So uh, we're not quite to the stage where we're going to produce a mass end of engines through 3D printing, right? Um, we have, uh, we're, I would say uh, we are at the point where we are producing parts. We actually made the switch uh, on some a little bit lower criticality than the one that we're talking about here, but we have started converting where parts are now only made through added manufacturing and they were designed specifically for added manufacturing. Those are certified. Again, they're a little bit lower criticality than uh, this, this breakthrough that we just achieved, but um, it's definitely at this point right now where the right parts are being identified and are in development to make that switch where more and more parts will be only made additively, and that's the best option to go from a price and from a performance perspective is to actually move into that into that realm. So it's it's the future is actually here now. So I have a question: If someone was wanting to get into this field, um, I can't imagine there's an additive manufacturing degree available today in the university system. What kind of what kind of engineers are you looking for to help you on this team? So yes, the. The added manufacturing degrees, they're, they're in development. Um, I've, I've got the privilege of, of being on, on a board, kind of advising uh, at, a, at a college to develop that kind of um, skill set in the future. But you're right, this is still developing. And universities are definitely recognizing the need for a, a strong skill set. What we're looking for is definitely a, a good 
um, engineering foundation, material science is great, um, design engineering is great, but really what we're more interested in is really curiosity and uh, creativity. And so we've had people on our team um, who were trained in, in classical ballet, where they actually had a, a professional career in classical ballet, like really from like a very different field in, in, in the arts. And it's, to me, that's like the, the best example of like that level of creativity is what's really helpful uh, in this emerging field, emerging technology of, of additive manufacturing, because it's just, it really challenges a lot of paradigms in the manufacturing and designing of, of aerospace products. And having the ability to think differently from um, what's been typically taught in the last uh, 100 years in, in engineering school, that's what really is what we're looking for is curiosity, creativity, and then obviously still a very strong engineering foundation. Wow, that's really cool. So if anyone's interested, our careers website is careers.honeywell.com. And you can provide more information there. Absolutely. Well, what's next? What's next for you? So what's next? Um, I mean, the cool thing is that it's we're not we're not done. It's actually just starting. That's that's what I would say is we're really in the early phases right now. Uh, sometimes that manufacturing gets compared to um, kind of the, the computer technologies back in the 90s with Moore's Law and things improving, getting faster um, every 12 months, every 24 months, things, things like that. So definitely... Um, there is a lot of technology on the, the printer manufacturer site. That's exciting. For us internally, we are looking at new materials that can drive our products to higher temperatures and, and lighter weight. So we're definitely focused on the, uh, the and, not or, in, in our discussions and our deployment of the, the technology. So new materials is for us uh, an important topic that we're pursuing and, and specifically taking advantage of the, the technologies of atom manufacturing and what that could bring to even make these materials more useful. And then uh, even more complex geometries and, and better use of the freedoms that additive offers in redesigning our products or future products that we haven't even thought about yet that are now enabled and are now made possible through additive manufacturing. So those are the, the exciting things that I'm looking about looking for is um, kind of the new printer technology, new materials, and really new product designs that are enabled. Well, that's exciting. So Zorin, I want to thank you for joining me and want to let you know this is Aerospace Unplugged. So one of the ways we wrap up the show is I ask you, how do you unplug at the end of the day? <laughs> I like that question. Um, I have an awesome family. So probably the most important thing is um, family dinner. Uh, that's, that's very, very big in our house. And um, even though my kids are now kind of in the, the teenage stage, we still really enjoy that. So that's a, that's a good time to unwind. And then I like to get outdoors, um, do a fair bit of road cycling and try to get my miles in every week. Um, that's a good way to just um, let some steam off and get my head cleared. But so those are probably the two highlights that, that uh, I rely on. Oh, it's about 113 degrees outside right now. So I can't imagine how that bike ride goes. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, early, early morning here in, in the heat of Phoenix. Um, you get up very early to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Aerospace Unplugged. Thank you. Again, I'm your host, Harry Sinclair. If you'd like to learn more about additive manufacturing, please visit us at aerospace.honeywell.com. 
And don't forget to subscribe to Aerospace Unplugged on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Until next time, safe travels. This episode was produced and edited by Chloe Dake.